So every time um, I found out Hannah was pregnant, I just, I'm filled with awe and wonder really at the magnitude of how God has brought each and every one of us into this world. Um, the thought of uh, a woman carrying a baby is truly a, just a magnificent thing. It's an incredible thing. And every time, four times now, it's just uh, filled me with awe and wonder at the whole process. And uh, anytime a baby is born, there comes with it uh, a tremendous amount of joy. And as you know, our fourth child, Abigail, was born just three weeks ago, and the name Abigail means my father's joy. And it's certainly a joy-filled thing anytime a baby is born. But this morning, we get to turn our attention to the ultimate birth, and the greatest birth really ever, ever, and the tremendous joy that comes when God sent his son to be born of a woman. I want to invite you to open your Bibles up to John chapter 1 as we take a look at this particular joy. And uh, as I said, joy is the advent of the third week, or the theme of the third week of Advent. And uh, joy, as you really look at this idea of joy, the theme of joy in scripture, joy is almost always related to our relationship with God. Joy is a byproduct, if you will, when we realize uh, the reality and the depth and the magnitude of our relationship with this God who created us. And so it, it's this morning that we're really going to focus our hearts and our minds on the gift of God's Son and the source of joy that we have through Him. So there in your outline, you can see we're going to look at three things together this morning here in John chapter 1. The first thing we're going to see is the word in the beginning how the Son of God existed eternally in the beginning before all things. Then number two on your outline, we're going to see the Word coming into the world. And number three on your outline, we're going to see most intimately of all, the Word among us there in verses 14 through 18. So let me read for you first, number one on your outline, the Word in the beginning, John chapter one, let me read for you verses one through five. The Apostle John writes this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness did not comprehend it. Here we see in these first opening verses of the Gospel of John some of the most profound things ever to be said about God. And uh, those of you, your DTS students or went to DTS, you'll remember really your first year Greek students began translating the Gospel of John. But what we're going to see here in these verses is that although the language is so, comp uh, so simple, that even a first-year Greek student can translate it. Truly, the theology here, what John is saying with these simple words is incredibly profound. It's eternally profound. Let's look again at verse 1. Verse 1 there in John chapter 1. Notice how John begins this gospel. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Notice first, in the beginning, John says, here John is linking the Son of God, the person of the Son, all the way back to the very beginning. 
He's linking it with the book of Genesis and how the book of Genesis begins, but really he goes further back than that. This is the beginning of all things. This is beginning before there was time, before there was anything. In the beginning, John says, was the word. In other words, the son of God existed eternally before there was anything. He was there. Notice secondly, in the beginning was the word and the second thing John says, and the word was with God. The word for with really means in company with. And so here already we see this idea of the plurality of the Godhead. You see the son of God existing there in company with God the Father. John here is establishing that Jesus eternally, the son of God eternally existed and yet he's distinct from the Father. This, again, theologians have wrestled with this for now thousands of years, trying to really peel back the layers of the onion and just understand exactly what it is that's going on here. And then to add to the complexity, the third phrase we see there, just in verse one, John says, and the word was God. So the word existed eternally. He was there with the Father, and yet he was also very God himself of the same substance as the Father. Think about this, this is just verse one, right? Again, this is real simple language, easy to translate for any first year Greek student, and yet this is amazing theology that John is unpacking right out of the gate here of his gospel. We see the eternality of the Son. We see him in relationship with the Father. And we see him as very God himself. The complexity only continues in verse two. He says, he was in the beginning with God. Notice verse three, all things came into being through him. Apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Here, John, the gospel writer, raises the age-old question of why is there something rather than nothing? Where did all of this come from? And he answers it both positively and negatively. Positively, he says, all things were created through him. He's the creator of all things. And negatively, there is nothing, there is no such thing that came into being apart from him. There's no other option, in other words. He is the source of all things, of all of creation. He was there, he's eternal, he's distinct from the Father, and yet he's God and he's the creator of all things. And then notice continuing, verses four and five, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. Here again, we link back to Genesis chapter one and this light and darkness imagery we see there. John, by the way, is gonna carry this forward all throughout his gospel, this idea of light and darkness. That Jesus is the source of all light, of all truth, of all spiritual life. It's all found in him. In this one whose birth we celebrate this time of year, to think that the creator of all the universe, the creator of all that there is, took on human flesh in the form of a baby. All of this in the first five verses. When you really take a step back and consider who this God is, it's incredible. And for 2,000 years, Christians have been 
peeling back the layers that are just in these simple verses and trying to comprehend exactly everything that is here. And yet, I love the comments of St. Augustine or Augustine who said of these verses, he said, we are talking about the things of God. What marvel if we can't comprehend. Because if we can comprehend, then he is not God. I love that. That statement invites us to step into the mystery we see here in these verses. And think about it, if you and I can really comprehend everything there is to comprehend about him, he's really not all that great. So really, more than comprehending what we see here, I want us to just take a step back and in wonder and in excitement and in awe, reflect on this transcendent God that John depicts here, the one who has existed, who always has been. And yet, as we take a look at number two on your outline, the one who entered into our world. Let's take a look at number two on your outline, John chapter one, verses six through 13. Let me read for you first, verses six through eight. The apostle John writes, he says, there came a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. Notice he was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. This really picks up from where we left off last week. Last week, if you were here, we looked at Isaiah chapter 40 and we talked about the ministry of John the Baptist who came to prepare the way of the Lord to roll out the red carpet for the first advent of Jesus and notice here the apostle John describes John the Baptist. He says he was sent from God. He's an incredible man, but notice he was sent as a witness. He's only sent to point people to the true light who is coming into the world. And that's where I want us to call our attention now. Verse nine, there was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. Again, don't rush through this. The Christmas message, the message of the incarnation of Jesus is a message we can just kind of spill past if you're so familiar with it, if you've been around the church for many times, many years. But truly pause and consider what we see here. That the Son of God, very God himself, the creator of all things, entered into our world. I love how D.A. Carson describes this in his commentary. He says, this idea that God came into the world is not an endorsement of the world, but it really merely reflects that our world is in need of a savior, right? This is far from an endorsement of the world. This speaks truly to the character of God who would send his son into this world, this world filled with darkness, this world that is broken because of the sin that we have brought into the equation. God loves the world. And here we see the son of God coming into the world. Notice he's coming into the world and he enlightens every man, verse nine. He enlightens every man. The word for enlightens here means to shed light upon, to make things visible. We've all had the experience of fumbling around our house and the lights are out and maybe you stub your toe on something or step on a Lego or something, you're just miserable around your your house and then suddenly someone flips on the light and you see everything as it should be, right? 
And that's precisely the ministry of Jesus here that John highlights, the gospel writer John highlights, that when Jesus came into the world, he brought his light upon the world. And suddenly we see our need of salvation and also the salvation that he brings. And this really is the message that John will carry forward in the rest of his gospel. Jesus turns the light on, if you will, revealing our sin, but at the same time revealing his salvation. But sadly, this salvation, as we keep reading, was not well received. Let me read for you some very sad verses, verses 10 and 11. It says, he came in the world, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, but the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Again, just pause right there and consider that the one who created all things, the one who's eternally existed, who always was, came into the world, the very world he created, and yet the world did not know him. And then even personally, John says he came to his own, to the Jewish people, and they did not recognize him. They did not receive him. These are terribly sad verses. But then notice the good news we see starting in verse 12, but as many as did receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Here we see great verses that not all rejected, but some received him, as John said. They receive him by believing in him. And listen, I tell you, week after week, whether you're here in person or watching online, if you've never trusted in this son before, if you've never placed your faith in this one who laid down his life for you, who took upon himself the sin, the penalty that you deserve, that I deserve, I want to invite you where you are to trust in him, to put your faith in him, to receive him as we see here. And to know that you're forgiven, you're redeemed, you're adopted in as a child of God. And that really is the source of our ultimate joy, our ultimate hope as we celebrate this Advent season. Thankfully, what we see here is that this redemption that comes through this one, the word who became flesh, And he dwelt among us. Let's take a look at number three on your outline, the word among us. So we've seen the word in the beginning. We see how the word came into the world. Now we see even more intimately how the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Notice John chapter one, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us. And we saw his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Again, just in this one verse, you could spend hours and even years unpacking what we see here. But John tells us that the word became flesh and when the word became flesh, truly that's what it means that God himself became man in the person of the son. The one who has eternally existed before there was anything took on human flesh and became at the same time man. 100% God, 100% man in the same person of the Son. This is truly incomprehensible. And notice, he dwelt among us. 
John says. The word for dwelt there is sometimes translated as tabernacled. It's connecting back to that Old Testament idea in the book of Exodus where God tabernacled among his people, where his glory dwelt among his people, where he was there physically with his people. And that's exactly what we see here, that in the person of the Son, the very glory of God took on flesh. The word for glory means magnificence. It means uh, majesty. It often describes someone who is physically weighty, but more importantly, spiritually weighty. And the very God of the universe displayed his glory in the person of the Son. Notice, by the way, what John is doing here. He starts at the beginning of this prologue, at the first verses of this gospel, and he describes this transcendent God who's almost unrelatable, but then he comes down into the world and takes on flesh, and now he is intimately acquainted with us. This is important because for the Greeks, the Greeks often thought of their gods as distant and detached. And yet here in the person of the Son, the very creator of the universe, the one who is bigger than all things, incomprehensible in his majesty, has come to dwell with his people. In verse 15, we come to a verse that seems somewhat out of place, but notice John says, John of John the Baptist testified about him and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has higher rank than I, and he existed before me. Now, many commentators, this is kind of a rabbit trail side note, many commentators have noted that this verse does seem kind of out of place, and many believe it's because in these days there was a group of people who believed that actually John the Baptist was the Messiah, the Savior, and so perhaps the Apostle John is writing this verse to refute that idea. And if you think that sounds crazy, and it is, there's actually still a group of people in Iraq today who believe that John the Baptist was the Messiah. Uh, But notice... Uh, What John does here, the Apostle John, he explains that, no, 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 that can't be the case because Jesus, by the very words of John himself, says that Jesus ranks higher than John and he existed before John. Even though Jesus was born after John, John the Baptist recognized that Jesus existed before him because, again, he's eternal. And then notice, continuing there in verse 16, describing the person of the Son We read, for of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. For of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. I love this. That phrase grace upon grace makes me think of standing you know, at an ocean, and you see wave after wave just pouring in, one after another after another, never ceasing, never stopping, just keeping going on over and over. And the same is true for us as believers, as uh, sons and daughters of the King. The Christian life is one of God just pouring his grace upon grace upon grace upon grace over our life. It's the superabundance of God's grace in our life. And again, what cause could there be for greater joy than this right here? that we are the recipients of God's superabundant grace in our life through his son. Verse 17, continuing, he says, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. There in verse 17, by the way, John is not 
bashing Moses. He's not bashing the Old Testament. He's not saying that God made a mistake in giving the Jewish people the Old Testament. But instead, he's just showing again the superabundance of God's grace and truth in the person of the Son. You could translate that verse 17 as the law was expressed through Moses, but grace and truth were demonstrated through Jesus. In other words, the character of God was expressed verbally in the Old Testament, but it was personified in the Son in the New. And for that reason, continuing verse 18, he says, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Notice that word explained. One of the primary ministries of Jesus in his first advent was to explain who God is, to make him known to us. And again, what John is doing here, what's incredible with very simple language here in the gospel is he's taking this transcendent God and showing how he has become imminent and enfleshed in the person of the Son. He is the word among us, in other words. And again, what I love about the message John is giving here in John chapter one is it's written in such simple language and yet its theology is so rich and so complex. And that's the beauty of the gospel, is it's so simple. Anybody can explain it. Anybody can believe it. And yet you and me and theologians and PhDs and everybody will spend literally an eternity just trying to comprehend this, to try to understand the depths of its magnitude. The last two days I loved walking around and seeing so many of you involved in the journey into Christmas. And over and over again, you used your gifts, your talents, your abilities for however many hundreds of people we had come through this building and we told the same simple message that Christians have been telling for now 2,000 years. The story of the birth of God's son and the hope, the joy, the celebration that that brings. And... um, I was in the unique position of being able to walk around for the last two days and I saw people from all stages of life, young and old, clearly share the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done. And thank you for that. It's a privilege as a pastor to see so many of you involved in that ministry. But it doesn't stop there. This is a message that we are privileged to share with a lost and dying world. And you have the message that brings ultimate joy and hope to people's lives. You know, as you take a step back and and consider everything that the Apostle John is saying here, what I really want for us as a church this week is to simply pause and consider the magnitude of what this holiday means. My hope is that we don't fall into what's often just kind of the consumeristic chaos and the hectic pace that often comes with Christmas, but that we take the intentional time to really pause and consider and wonder in awe of the gift of God's Son. I love the words of J.I. Packer. He says, God became man. The divine Son became a Jew. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. 
He says there was no illusion or deception in this. The babyhood of the Son of God is a reality, and the more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as this truth of the incarnation. I mean, think about that. Again, here in John's gospel, we begin with this eternal being who's always existed, who's the creator of all things, who's the source of all light and life, and yet he comes down and takes the form of a babe to be Emmanuel, to be God with us, and I hope we don't lose the majesty of that. And again, in the Greco-Roman world, as you kind of set these verses in the context in the world of which John was writing, uh, the people viewed the gods as distant and detached, not really involved in the affairs of the world in day-to-day life. And sometimes I think that we can fall into that same idea. We can wrongly think that, you know, God is somewhat distant and detached, and maybe we just turn to him in time of crisis or in times of need, um, but we don't see him as involved in our daily life, the normal affairs of our existence. But notice what John, he refutes that idea here. And he shows that your creator, the one who gives you life and light, came to be in this world, to dwell among his people, and he's still with his people today. And I hope you see that this Christmas season. I hope you see here in this passage just the magnitude of what God has done to show his love to you. And so really what I wanna do is I wanna invite you to really celebrate the true joy that comes in this season of waiting and in celebrating the redemption that we have in this incarnate son. And uh, there in your outline, I've given you some application questions to consider. I've given you a list of some other passages to add in to supplement what we see here this morning. But your one thing for this week is this, if you're, Busy, as I know you are, we all are. Um, But your one thing for this week is I wanna invite you to look for an opportunity to bring joy to someone this Christmas. Maybe by inviting them over or meeting a physical need in their life, but most importantly, by sharing with them this message of great joy. You know, every time Hannah has gotten pregnant, again, I've just fallen in awe of what all that means. And If you're a parent, I'm sure like me, as this baby is formed in the womb, you begin to have kind of depictions of what this child might become. You begin to create memories of what might be one day. But it's all abstract. It's all very conceptual. And then suddenly this baby comes into the world and brings an incredible amount of joy into your life. And you see this child, you feel this child, you hear them breathe and you uh, hear them cry. And suddenly this abstract idea really becomes a reality. It becomes concrete and there in your face. And that's what John really is showing here when God sent his son. He's made him known in this Jesus who walked on the earth, who dwelt among his people, who did miracles and did teachings, and most importantly, who died on the cross for you and for me. And it's only through this son that we can experience ultimate joy through a relationship with him. And that's really what Advent is all about. Let's pray. Father, I do ask that you would help us 
here in these coming days and weeks as we are approaching Christmas and there's lots to do and there's presents and there's meals and there's family and there's logistics. Uh, We thank you for that. But Father, at the same time, I pray that you would just kind of slow down the pace of our life. You would give us the time to really pause and consider and wonder in awe and in excitement and in joy at the gift of your Son. And Father, when we really consider the magnitude of this gift, when we ask the question, as we'll sing here in just a second, what child is this? And more importantly, who are we that you would send your Son? Father, we can't help but lift our voices and lift our hearts in praise and appreciation that you sent your Son. We thank you, Father, for the gift of your grace in him, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.